purposely tonight, I'm not going to sugarcoat the situation. There are tens of thousands of people across the world suffering from COVID-19. It's a painful and difficult death for so many. We, we cannot underestimate the suffering. But it is my purpose tonight to give you some assurance from the scriptures of truth that although everything looks like a crisis, that nobody has a solution, that we don't know where we're going, yet from the word of God, there is an answer to this all. We can find out where it's all going to end up in the good plan of God. And I especially want to emphasise by the end of the night our title, God is in control. Even though man may not have any clear idea of what they are doing. Now, over recent weeks, this congregation has been studying the book of Daniel on Sunday nights. And I want to build my talk tonight from the prophecy of Daniel. Now, some of you may never have heard of the the prophet Daniel. Daniel lived about 600 years before Christ and He was a Jew who was taken captive to the city of Babylon, the ancient city of Babylon, which is in what we today call Iraq. And there he rose to prominence in the court of the great king of the Middle East, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, last Sunday night, Michael, who tonight is filming our proceedings, was dealing with Daniel chapter 7. And we came to this important verse in Daniel 7 and verse 22, when Daniel records what he was told, which is the end goal of all that God is engaging with in our world. Read these words. The time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Well, what do we mean by saints? Well, saints in the Bible are simply those who believe in God, those who follow Jesus Christ. What kingdom are we talking about? Well, Daniel spoke in Daniel chapter 2 to Nebuchadnezzar that human kingdoms were going to be destroyed and the kingdom of God would be established on the earth. The saints, then, are Christ's believers. They will possess, take the kingdom, God's kingdom on earth, and rule with Jesus Christ from Jerusalem. But Daniel says the time will come. Well, when will it come? certainly hasn't come yet. The time will come when God decides to send his son, Jesus Christ, back to the earth. You ask me, When will that time be? I don't know. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says the time and the hour nobody knows. Now, we were quite surprised. A couple of weeks ago, Rosemary opened the paper and we read this statement on page one of the Australian. Professor Robert Boy, professor of infectious diseases at the University of Sydney, says... It's as if we are living in the times of Noah, just prior to the flood. 
Well, if you have read the Bible a little, you probably know of the story of Noah, who built an ark and the flood came and destroyed the civilization that then existed. And Professor Boy is saying that what we are witnessing with coronavirus, this little virus, one hundredth the width of a human hair, that what we are witnessing is like the times preceding Noah's flood. Well, it's not identical, but I'm pleased that someone is looking at their Bible. Certainly one characteristic of Noah's flood was complacency. And when COVID-19 burst on the scene, I must admit myself being a little bit complacent, saying, well, I don't think it's a big issue. And yet we've seen it's a very big issue. Just two months ago, in the Washington Post, we read of a reporter saying, there are two big question marks for the US economy this year, how bad the impact of coronavirus will be and whether business spending will pick up. Cudlow, the senior treasury person in the uh, Republican administration, and many private sector economists have predicted a small impact from the deadly coronavirus on the US economy, shaving off about 0.2 of a percent from first quarter growth. Well, what a joke. 0.2%. I think we can predict that this is a substantial reduction in world economic activity. Humans are not good at seeing the consequences of things that are happening. Just as the humans of Noah's day could not see that the time was coming when the world was about to be flooded. Now, I want to take you back to a remarkable statement made by a young Englishman in 1863. He was just 22 years old, and he gave a talk called Current Troubles and the Second Advent in the town of Huddersfield in West Yorkshire. And this is recorded in a record of his talks called 12 Lectures on the True Teaching of the Bible on page 177. This is his Prediction based on the Bible of what end times would look like. Hence, at the first indication of the approach of the end, we must look for times of great trouble and commotion on the earth. International politics will become complicated beyond the possibility of unravelment. A universal war spirit will be evoked. Commerce will become embarrassed. Trade, fettered. Employment, precarious. Distrust will fill society. Panic will spread. Trade bankruptcies will follow in quick succession and the social fabric will be shaken to the foundation. If not involved in ruin and reduced to chaos, events will strive with rapid march and anon the superhuman will enter the scene. What does he mean by the superhuman? Well, it's his term for Jesus Christ, beyond just a man. The superhuman presence of Jesus Christ will enter the scene. But what he describes in 1862 about the end times seems pretty much like our day, here today, April the 5th, 2020. Panic, bankruptcies, precarious employment, social fabric shaken. That's exactly what we are witnessing in our world 
involved in ruin and reduced to chaos. How, how could he, a 22-year-old, speculate such things about the end times? Well, he wasn't entirely speculating. He was relying upon many Bible passages. And one, of course, is Jesus' prophecy that he gave just before he was hung on the cross. Just before Passover, nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus talked in Luke 21 of the times of his coming, times which he called perplexity, times where humans would not find an answer, times of great trouble, and men's hearts would fail for fear, said Jesus. They would be so fearful of the things that are coming on the earth. Now, the primary passage, of course, Jesus then goes on to say that he will appear and solve this human predicament. The passage I particularly want you to have firmly embedded in your consciousness is again from the prophecy of Daniel and chapter 4 and verse 17. Now, in Daniel 4, and you can read the whole of this chapter at your leisure, Daniel is dealing with the king Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's a great and powerful king and controls everything, but he finds out he doesn't. And Daniel says, this matter is by the decree of the watchers, another name for the angels, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living, those people who have got life of God, may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. I really think we all need to grasp those words very carefully. The Most High, the power of the universe, rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomsoever he will. So, why is Boris Johnson the Prime Minister of England? Why is Vladimir Putin the head of Russia? Why is Donald Trump the President of the USA? Why is Benjamin Netanyahu still the Prime Minister of Israel? Well, these things are all in the control of God. And whatever is happening on the earth is to bring about his grand plan. Now, in this verse, Daniel triggers our attention to the angels, the watchers. They have decrees. They have plans. They have edicts that they have issued. And in Australia, we're listening to the edicts of our government. In South Australia, we listen to the edicts of Commissioner Grant Stevens as he tells us what we can and can't do. And in Melbourne, they listen to their commissioner and so on. But Daniel says there are edicts by being issued by the angels and they're the only edicts that matter. And I want to suggest to you that all of us need to be aware that the angels tonight are busy at work in our world. And you say, but that's horrific. How could the angels be busy at work in our world? Why, why wouldn't the angels just fix COVID-19 instantly. Well, the angels work through all sorts of means to get God's 
purpose to eventuate. So I ask, could God work in a virus? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. Pestilence, viruses are a sign of end times. And on the screen, I have a series of verses which clearly explain or clearly list many passages which talk of pestilence, virus, in particular end times. I have passages there from Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Luke, and Revelation. However, I don't believe any of these passages specifically refer to the times before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power and glory to rule the world. Some of them refer to the times of destruction of Jerusalem in the days of Daniel. Some refer to the destruction of Jerusalem just after Jesus lived and the pestilence that would happen then. Some refer to the events after the destruction of Jerusalem when Christ returns. But what I will say to you all is that pestilence is a sign of the end times. And most end times are very similar indeed in the Bible. And so pestilence is a tool that the angels use to advance their virus, their, their purpose. <laughs> Thinking ahead, we think about a virus and this thing that Donald Trump calls the China virus, which annoys the Chinese, but is an, a reasonable summary of what happened. As best we know, a bat bit a pangolin, which was sold in a Wuhan wet market, seafood and other foods, and was probably bought by a rich Chinese in the hope that eating this little animal would give him long life and extra strength. Well, what did that do to the world? But this little virus, smaller than one hundredth of the width of a hair, has just caused destruction across our globe. And I want to suggest to you tonight that the angels are using these events to promote their purpose. Now, the Bible tells us clearly that the angels are busy at work. The Apostle Peter, in his first epistle, talks about how the angels are are busy looking into the things that are happening, and he particularly refers, of course, to Jesus' first coming. Hebrews 1, the Apostle Paul says that the angels are public servants, spirits sent forth to serve those who will be the heirs of salvation. You won't find that translation in any official source, but that's the basic meaning of the verse. The angels are there to serve Christ's believers, the ones who are going to be the heirs of salvation. So they're there for us. In what sense? Well, they are there to help us individually that we might be able to grow in our appreciation and our character like Jesus Christ. But they're also there to bring about that grand kingdom that we might be heirs of that glory that has been promised.
And so in Luke 9, 26, Jesus says, The Son of Man shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. When Jesus returns, he will have with him all of the angels working with Christ to transform our globe. Now this brings about a question that you might think, how do the angels actually work? Well, I would like to suggest to you there's at least two ways in which the angels work. The first is direct intervention in physical matters. In Psalm 148 verse 8, the psalm talks about stormy winds fulfilling God's word. And on the left-hand side, you have a picture of a book by a Christadelphian called Tony Benson, which describes how weather events have been used to forward God's purpose in particular ways. And the author suggests that this is the angels who are actually deliberately intervening. For example, the weather when Napoleon tried to invade Russia and when Hitler tried to invade Russia and the incredible cold which stymied their plans. And he argues that this is actually deliberate intervention of the angels. But the second way the angels work is through apparently normal human behaviour. How they do this, I can't actually tell you, because we know what the angels are generally doing but trying to explain exactly how they do it is something a little bit limited for us humans in our day. So, did they cause a person to go and buy a little animal from a particular Wuhan market and cook it and eat it and get the virus? Well, we don't know the angels work that way, but they do understand human behaviour and work through that. Now, my major proof is from the passage we read tonight, Daniel chapter 10 and 11. Now, what we have read tonight is basically one section of Scripture. And Malcolm read for us some preface to these words, but from Daniel chapter 10 and verse 20 through to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, we have one speech, and it is by an angel called Gabriel. Now, how do we know it is Gabriel? Because back in chapter 9, we have Gabriel explaining things to Daniel. We know that Gabriel was the angel that appeared to Mary when Jesus was going to be born. So Gabriel is a very important angel. And what Gabriel does in this section of the Bible is give the grand plan of the angels for the next 2,600 years. In other words, Gabriel says to Daniel, look, Daniel, we've got it all mapped out. Don't be frightened. Verse 19, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. Can you imagine Gabriel saying that to us tonight? Oh, yes, it's a troubled world. There's disaster. We're all stuck at home. Fear not. Peace be unto thee. I would like you to think that this is Gabriel's message to you and I tonight. 
And then Gabriel says in verse 20, Knowest thou therefore, wherefore I come unto thee, and now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Verse 21, I am going to show you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Now he's going to tell Daniel the things that are going to happen to lead up to the grand event. Now what is the grand event? Well, if we come to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, another angel called Michael, who is also described in Daniel 10, will stand up. He will be a great prince who stands for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. Now, just think about that verse. There's going to be a time of trouble such as never was. And other Christadelphians have observed that the most common word in Australia at the moment is unprecedented. A time of trouble such as never was. An unprecedented time of trouble beyond any human imagination. And I am going to end my lecture tonight by suggesting to you that this may not be the end of the time of trouble, but simply the start. But here is the comfort. Verse 1. When the trouble increases in the world, your people, Daniel, shall be delivered. Everyone found written in the book. And not only the people alive, but the believers who are dead, verse 2, who sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake. There will be a resurrection of the dead. Verse 3. The wise ones of Jesus' followers will shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Daniel, verse 4, close the scroll that you are writing. Many people shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased, but the end will come. Jesus Christ will return. The kingdom will be established. Faithful believers will be part of that glorious plan which Gabriel lays out. Now, at the start of this plan, Daniel reassures Daniel that he is going to show him the things in chapter 10, verse 21, which are noted in the scripture of truth. I'm not telling you fables, Daniel. I'm telling you the truth. You can read all the papers and news articles about COVID-19, but what I'm telling you, Daniel, is the truth of where it's all going. And in chapter 11, verse 1, I, Gabriel, stood to confirm and to strengthen a man called Darius the Mede. I am there. I am involved, Daniel. Don't worry. It'll all happen. Verse 14 of Daniel 11. In the second to last line, 
they will exalt themselves to establish the vision. Particular people will be brought into play to make sure that God's purpose is accomplished. Verse 27, people will have schemes, but in the third to last line, it will not prosper, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. People will think that they can change God's purpose, but it won't happen. There will be a time in God's plan when it will all come to its fulfilment. Verse 34, he describes how the Jews in the days of the Maccabees would be helped with a little help. Now, in this grand plan of Gabriel, we find that the angels use perfectly natural means. In that section of scripture that Malcolm read us tonight in verse 6, in the end of the years, they, the kings, shall join themselves together. And this prophecy describes two sets of kings, one in the south and one in the north, and these two opposing forces will join together. For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make a marriage agreement. And as the angel's plan was um, played out, there was indeed temporary peace between the south and the north when Antiochus from the north divorced his wife Laodice and married Berenice, the daughter of Ptolemy of Egypt. This was in BC 249. So, one man divorces his wife, marries into the south to try and get a political alliance, and he thinks this will solve the problem. This is Gabriel's plan. He works through these, these romance or these strategic marriages, uh, but it doesn't succeed. It doesn't bring peace. Verse 17 of Daniel 11 speaks about a daughter woman who will corrupt her, a king who will corrupt his daughter. And daughter turned out in time to be a woman named Cleopatra, not the most famous Cleopatra in history, as there are a number of them, but this woman was called Cleopatra. The king tried to corrupt his daughter, but it didn't work because Gabriel knew exactly what was going to happen. In verse 21, we have a vile person standing up, he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And he would be a new king who would come in and flatter others and bring about his rulership. In verse 23, he shall work deceitfully, just like politicians quite often do. Some are honest and some are less honest and some are dishonest. He works deceitfully and the angels use this deceitful behaviour to advance their cause. Verse 24, we read of this king who in the second to last line will use his devices against the strongholds. He will have his own plans and tricks that he will try to use and the angels will work through this. Verse 27, I like this verse. And both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief. We have a king of the south, and the king of the north, the king of Egypt, and a king of Syria, and they have a, a heart to do mischief. And they shall speak lies at one table. Hey, two politicians sitting down at a table telling lies to each other? Well, not exactly surprising as it happens once or twice in our current world. But it shall not prosper. 
They won't achieve their cause because the angels will use it just for an immediate step forward. So Daniel chapter 11 sketches a whole lot of things that Gabriel and the angels are going to do. They'll work through the king of Persia. Verse 3 and 4, they'd raise up Alexander the Great. Verses 5 to 9, and they would divide Alexander's kingdom ultimately into north and south. They'd bring up this man called Antiochus the Great. They would elevate another man called Antiochus Epiphanes. They would help the Jews through the, the tool of the Maccabees. Then they'd bring up the Romans. And finally, they would bring a king of the north down into Israel, be destroyed on the mountains of Israel. And I'll put it to you, and I'm not going to prove this tonight, that this is Russia. He will come down upon the mountains of Israel. This is the final almost step before God intervenes very visibly in human affairs. So this chapter is basically about two great empires, one in the Assyrian area, Assyrian area called the Seleucid Empire, and one in the south around Egypt called the Ptolemaic Empire. So what's the focus of this chapter? It's around the Jews and God working with the powers north and south of the land of Israel. And when we're watching current events, we mustn't forget Israel. It's a plan that ends up, as we saw in chapter 12, verse 3, with the believers, the saints, reigning in glory upon the earth. And the ultimate plan is that God's pleasure might succeed. Now, there is a key word in Daniel chapter 11. It's the Hebrew word which is most often translated in my Bible, stand or stand up. This word in the Hebrew language appears 19 times in this chapter. So the grand question of the chapter is, who shall stand? One king stands up and he's knocked over. Another king stands up and he's deposed. Another king thinks he will stand up and be powerful, but he doesn't succeed. But in Gabriel's timetable, in chapter 12 and verse 1, at that time shall Michael the archangel, stand up, the great prince, and there will be a time of trouble. This is the one who will stand. The chief angel will stand when every other power doesn't know what they are doing. Now, Gabriel tells Daniel that he's already at work. I've been working hard all this time. Just take Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13. Gabriel says to Daniel, look, I've been having trouble with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He is withstanding me. He is resisting me. And he's been doing so for 21 days. In fact, I had to go and get Michael to come along and help me to shift this stubborn character to get him to do what was in our plan. 21 days of delay. But we succeeded because in the end, however stubborn humans are, God's plan will go on. So in chapter 11, verse 1, in the first year of Darius, 
He'd been working for two years to bring Darius in, even though Darius had been prophesied in previous times, and he had now succeeded. And now, in chapter 11, verse 1, I, Gabriel, stood to confirm and to strengthen him. Or as Green's interlinear translates it, I was standing for a supporter and for a fortress for him. And we don't know which rulers the angels are standing for and supporting tonight. But what I can tell you, that they're there. Their presence is there in the earth. And I could give you lots of evidence later if you would like it. So in verses 5 to 29 of Daniel chapter 11, we have the work of Gabriel and the angels working through the rivalries and the policies of these two powers, north and south of the land of Israel. So I want to move from the scriptures into a little bit more speculative, but still from the scriptures. Where could we be going with COVID-19? Well, in the Australian, two weeks ago, Greg Sheridan, one of their writers, says had an article called Why This COVID-19 Pandemic Will Kill Globalisation. And we have a nice happy picture of one of the G20 gatherings where the leaders of the world's most prosperous 20 countries get together and solve the world's problems. But he argued that coronavirus is going to transform, if not completely kill, globalisation, this one networked world economy. It will enhance the power of national governments. Now, I can tell you that many other people observing the times see a similar thing. It's going to shake up the structure, the way the world's politics and economics has worked. And Bible believers do not find this staggering. It seems perfectly consistent with the angels' plans. So let's start and talk for a moment about China. As Trump calls this, the China virus. What is China's role in the end times? How does China fit in Bible prophecy? China, in some ways, is a very rudimentary country where people still eat wild animals, and it's a very sophisticated uh, country. The picture on the top right is a hospital I visited in Taizhou in China last year in Zhejiang province. An incredibly sophisticated and technologically capable hospital. The Chinese have got a lot of capability. But where does it fit in Bible prophecy? Well, there's only one verse in the Bible that refers to China. It's in the prophecy of Isaiah, and it's called Sinim. Basically, China plays no political part in the time at the end. Now, you think, that's remarkable. How can I say that? Because in all the prophecies of Scripture, you will never find China. So China's had this incredible plan. One belt, one road. They're going to stretch their influence across the world. We've observed them building um, fake islands in the South China Sea to enhance their power and prestige. But it won't succeed like the plans of Daniel 11. It's it's not going to prosper. 
To, to advance this plan, they lead, need a lot of money and influence. Just think the damage to their influence and financial situation this current coronavirus is causing. Even as their factories are bursting back into life, the orders are being cancelled from the West and there are people who still don't have very much work. You know, when people look back in time, they suggest that when Jesus was born, the two greatest economies of the then known world were China and India. China is depicted here in red and it had about 30% of the world's GDP and India is in the sort of brownie colour. Sorry about my, um, my colour impairment. And in that graph you'll see that India occupied about 40% of the world's economy when Jesus was born. Well, it could be similar when Jesus returns, but it doesn't really matter. When we look at the world's biggest economies today, number one is USA, two is China, three is Japan, four is Germany, and number five is India. Will that order change? Not necessarily, but what I'd suggest to you is that the influence of China must wane. By analogy, I have a picture here of myself and my students with Richard Court, the Australian ambassador to Japan, on the beautiful lawns of the Tokyo Embassy. And behind us is a patch of land that the Australian government sold at the peak of the Japanese boom for a billion dollars in 1988. About one of the few good property sales the Australian government's ever done. But there was a collapse in the Japanese economy. The bubble was burst and the Japanese spoke about the lost decade of the 1990s. Then the lost two decades into 2010 and the lost 30 years. And although it's still the third world, biggest world economy, what influence does Japan have? It's not the great political megapower of the world. And I would suggest to you tonight that a similar thing will probably happen to China. It has a lot of possibility of changing the way the world economy works. It has incredible potential to shake up Chinese trade more than tariffs. And, and many commentators, I'm quoting here Martha White from CNBC on March the 6th, that this tariffs and the trade war of Trump made some slight change to the world supply networks and the supply chains. But coronavirus is just ripping up the way the world has worked in the past. And even a month ago, evidence was emerging of the disruption to world supply chains. And you can see the waning of feeling towards China, even amongst Australian politicians. Remember, we sell a lot of iron ore and steel and coal to China. We don't really want to upset them. But these are the comments of a couple of politicians and others have chipped in over the last couple of days. The Australian people aren't mugs. They now know how COVID started and how the Communist Party lied about it. Andrew Hastie, the head of one of the Senate committees on security, said, we won't be bought off even if they send us masks and other equipment. Tim Wilson, a senior Liberal politician. The Chinese Communist Party's deliberate strategy 
to suppress awareness of the virus led to this pandemic. It will not be forgotten. It has shredded their credibility across the globe. China will suffer serious consequences for the inflicted pain on the world. I would suggest to all of you watching this presentation tonight that the political power of China must wane as we move to the presence of Christ in the earth. What about Russia? Well, this man, Vladimir Putin, has been a central player. If you want to look at the initiation of the collapse of Wall Street, some people say it's not a collapse yet, it's only lost a heap of value, but the initiator of that collapse was Russia. Because when OPEC said they were going to cut oil production, Putin said, well, I'm not. Not while the shale oil producers of Texas keep uh, pumping out as much as they like. So here were two men, the Muhammad of Saudi Arabia, the crown prince, and Vladimir, best of friends. Well, you've been observing the news this weekend. They're not best of friends at the moment. There's supposed to be another meeting of OPEC Plus tomorrow, and Trump has assured the world that these two fellows will get together and cut the production of oil so the oil price will rise. Well, again, based on the scriptures of truth, I don't think these close relationships between the crown prince of Saudi Arabia and the Russians and the Chinese will last. It cannot be so. And I'll expand on that in a minute. So these relationships are going to be fractured. The Saudis in Bible prophecy must be linked closer to the West and Russia will be opposed to the West. What about USA and UK? Well, we would suggest tonight, as you're watching this presentation, that there's going to be closer and closer collaboration. We talk about the five eyes, the five Western powers that collaborate most closely. UK, Canada, USA, Australia and New Zealand. And I can tell you from Bible prophecy terms that we expect these five powers to collaborate more and more closely. And without going through all the detail, in Ezekiel 38, the prophet Ezekiel saw two great powers, one in the south, as in Daniel 11, based around the Saudi Arabians, united with the UK and the West, and one in the north under the leadership of Russia. And Russia will invade the land of Israel. Two opposing forces, Russia and Europe, and the West with Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. These are the alliances that the Bible describes in the period leading up to what Daniel saw in Daniel 2, an image of the vision of the destruction of all human dominions. Now, somebody asked me, are we at the end, Bruce? And I said, I don't know. We need to keep watching because Jesus Christ is coming. But in Paul's writings in the New Testament to the Thessalonians, sorry about the spelling mistake, he says, people will say peace and safety. They'll want peace. But when they're seeking peace, 
sudden destruction will come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. <laughs> and I'm sure there are many women watching who have had babies and many men who have witnessed a baby being born. What do we know about labour pains? Well, they get closer and closer together as the contractions come closer to the point when the baby's going to be born. What else do we know? That they become more intense. Whatever part COVID-19 fits in the divine plan, I can assure you that it's another one of those labour pains, one of those contractions that is going to lead forth to a new world era under the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul also again uses this figure of a woman having a baby. But he says the woman is like the whole creation, which is groaning and travailing in pain until now. The whole of our world is having the labour pains. Not only they, but ourselves, the believers also. We groan within ourselves, waiting for something better, the change of our body. So tonight, I want you to think that COVID-19 is one step closer to Christ's appearance in the world. It will help move the angel's plan forward. And so a question for us tonight is how will we react? Will we obey the scriptures and be obedient to our government? Or will we say, well, I always go away at Easter and blow ScoMo and Stephen Marshall, even though they told me not to. I'm going to do what I like. Is that the way we're going to behave? Are we going to be selfish? I've already got a shed full of toilet paper, but I'll grab another roll from the supermarket and forget about that poor lady down the road who's got none. Will I complain about my circumstance? I want to get out of here. I don't want to be stuck at home. Or will we be content as the Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter 4 and other passages? Lastly, will we be fearful, anxious, troubled, or will we be faithful? You say to me, oh, being troubled, being anxious, that's just normal. Well, in a way it is, but Jesus' disciples do not need to be paranoid. People are sending me maps showing that the city of Mitcham is the epicentre of coronavirus in Adelaide. Well, I'm standing in this hall tonight, right in the middle of the city of Mitcham. I'm not particularly perturbed at all. Don't send me maps, right? Fortunately, Mitcham's got lots of fresh air and parks like any other suburb. We just have many more people who do cruises, I think. But should we be frightened? Jesus said, Be not thou therefore anxious for the morrow. Don't be anxious. Don't, don't sit up all night worrying about coronavirus. You know, I don't know whether I'll live through coronavirus. I hope if I die, my family mourns my passing. But I'm not guaranteed that I'll live through coronavirus. But there is a hope ahead. It does matter to my family, but it doesn't matter to me if I die at all. In fact, Jesus says 
the Lord Jesus Christ says in Revelation 14 that we are happy if we die in hope of the resurrection. So let's not be too anxious. All of us are worried, but Jesus teaches us not to be anxious, to trust in God, to believe that there is a grand plan and God is in control. And next Sunday night, my friend and neighbour, Tony Lyons, will speak on the topic, Hope for the World, Christ is Risen. Next week being Passover, Jesus rose on the first day of the week of the Passover nearly 2,000 years ago. And Tony will give us the personal hope of the resurrection through Christ's resurrection. A hope of comfort and strength and trust in God. Look, I may not have explained everything clearly tonight. If you have a question, we are running a radio program tonight on Coast FM in an hour's time. And if you ring the studio on 83711000, Tim Colliver will answer the phone and we will endeavour to answer any questions you have from tonight's meeting. If you ring between 10 past 8 and half past 8, we will endeavour to do our best to answer your questions. You can text me personally on my mobile. If you want a written copy of tonight's talk, which will be appearing in the Christadelphian magazine, The Lampstand, if God wills, in the next edition. But if you want a copy now, then email me. If you want a copy of tonight's PowerPoints, please email me and I can provide them. I hope tonight you can go to bed saying, the angels have a plan. I do not need to worry about the future. God is in control. The kingdom will come. Jesus Christ will be here. Peace will fill the earth. There's a hope for you to take from tonight.